Name a career in which you may not have to worry about performance and still get paid, uh, besides the weatherman. Well, of course you expect your broker to perform well, but what if they put your money in the market and the market doesn't perform? 50% chance of rain or sunny skies. Is it time you learned how to keep your principal and protect your gains with a higher income strategy? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halavi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Total Financial Hour. Hey, welcome to the show. Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Halaby. Hey, thanks for being with us this morning. Happy Sunday morning. I'm Eric Halaby on the TFS Financial Insurance Services. Total Financial Hour. On AM870, The Answer, listen, we're talking about your family's finances. Of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for your future, and trying to figure out, my, oh my, is the financial world crazy? Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but I would say it's a pretty darn close uh, example with the COVID-19, I don't know if I want to say panic or hysteria, starting to become like like the climate change, right? It's... If you just don't agree, you know, they don't even talk to you. There's no debate. There's no conversation. You must be dumb. Listen, I I don't mean people pass away. Of course they do. A horrible death. You know, it's it's similar to pneumonia. They're dying, uh, you know, in their in their own lungs fluid. I, I get it. Okay, But. I think what are we less than 700 right around 700 and or so, which is. Every single person is somebody's family member. But you shut down an entire state economy, guys. 35 million, probably more, because we didn't count the illegal aliens. Who knows? Maybe 40 million. Probably right around 40 million people in the state of California. And 700 plus or minus have passed away. Horrible for those 700 and their families. But what about the jobs? The lifestyle, the people, right? Uh, I mean, can, can, can some common sense prevail for a minute? Because this is my, my client's financial life, right? We're going to get a handle on this. This will go away. We'll get this settled. Will the jobs come back? Will the businesses come back? Will your peace of mind come back? You see, I think that's the most important thing. Because in this whole conversation is the amount of fear that people with either mental health issues, diagnosed or undiagnosed, or just darn right normal called, you know, sometimes we're just concerned. I mean, how hard is that, right? To have your peace of mind shaken. It happens. It happened to me. It happens to you. You know, your family, little kids trying to sleep. So there's a lot more to this than the care and well-being, right? We don't ban driving. More people die from 
from car accidents. Oh, oh, did you know the American Medical Association, their own reporting, which is probably, as you would know, certainly favoring physicians and hospitals, says between 240 and 300,000 Americans die every year from medical malpractice. We're not banning hospitals. So I think you have to look at this as a, I mean, come on, let's, let's, let's get some peace of mind. Right? I mean, let's, let's take a deep breath. And I want you guys to think about this. There is an opportunity here, financially speaking, for you to almost redo yourself. Right? You, you ever hear those stories? They make great Hollywood movies. There's a fire. There's a bombing, whatever. And somebody is presumed dead. They can now reinvent their life. And has no family, no friends. It just decides that he's going to start over, change his name, change his lifestyle, his look. Right, you see, it's a Hollywood movie now and again. Different TV shows, different things that are happening in in our, uh, as you can imagine, our Netflix genre at the moment. Well, think of this time as that renewal. Think of this time as a chance to say, you know, what did I want to do? The government's going to pay me more money to stay at home. You see, how are you going to get an economy back when you're going to pay people more money to stay home than you are for them to go to work? I don't mean right now. This is a crisis. I get it. But eventually, right, your 29-year-old has to move out. Eventually, they're going to have to help. I don't, make, I don't care if they stay with the house, but they're going to have to start helping. Eventually, they're going to have to have a life. Eventually, I mean, you get it? So if mama and daddy government are going to take care of the everyday American when times are tough, of course they should. That's what we pay taxes for. But once you start feeding them, everybody, especially Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, are going to scream and yell, don't take, it's only been 24 months on unemployment. Don't take that away from these poor folks. I don't know. I don't know where the line is. 12 months, 24 months. Right? Kids, did you see the latest? Nobody's going to fail classes this last semester. And I think LA Unified has what double-digit percentages, 15, 20-something percent of kids that haven't even shown up, haven't even logged on on the, on the uh, online courses. And so now you're going to give them, what, six months off? I don't know, five months? The world is upside down, guys. So how do you get to chan- a chance to take advantage of it, and not in a bad way, but take advantage of it so that you can create opportunity for you and your family? All of us were shell-shocked at first. And maybe it lasted a week or two or three. But eventually we have to settle in and we have to say, okay, as they say, the new normal, whatever that looks like, I think to have a president like President Trump, his economic background, he's already proved it, right? It it isn't something that, that we're guessing. He did it in his personal life. We've seen him do it the first three years of his presidency. So we know that he can handle it. So... I'm actually pretty surprised and impressed that we ended up with the president this uh, sharp when it comes to the to the economics at this economic chaos time of life. Right. Uh, Look, the last time we had this kind of chaos was 2008, nine. We mismanaged that. The last time before that was 2000. Why do you think we had three years in a row of a negative market? We never had that before. We had. One year or two years, I think 
prior to 2000, 2001, 2002 of an economic collapse, so to speak, in the, in the U.S. economy, the last time we had that kind of a depth of a, of a stock market collapse was in the early 70s, where we had two years in a row. So it had been 30 years. And then we come along with two. Now, listen, I understand 9-11 happened, right? The bombing of, those, uh, of the Twin Towers and, and Washington, D.C., et cetera, and Shanksville. But the collapse in the U.S. economy, we couldn't be in better hands, in my opinion. If we have to go through this mess, at least we have a pretty solid economic leader, and and I'm impressed and proud of that. But now that it comes time for you to take some responsibility yourself, what are you going to do? Well, first of all, we like to keep some or part of your money safe. That's what we do. Our job is to remove it from the market risk. We can get some money back in bonuses. You've seen it. Sometimes we can get three, four, five, six, seven, ten percent. We can get a bonus, if you will, added to your account, depending on how you're going to use it, when you need it. Maybe it's right for you. Right? It's not right for everybody. That's why we say, give us a call. Maybe we can help. If we can't, like a, a couple of days ago, I met with somebody. I said, listen, there's nothing I can do for you. I like exactly what you have. Keep it. They said, are you kidding me? I said, no, I think you're in the right spot. There's nothing more I would do for you. I think it was, what, 12 minutes before they were done and walking out the back door or <laughs> walking out the front door, right? Because in this particular case, we were able to easily take a look. I said, which accounts do you want me to look at? And they came up with, with the, the choices. And I said, uh, I like where you're at. The reason I share that with you is because it's the same thing today on the phone call, right? When you sit down with us and you say, okay, hey, Arif, uh, let's make a phone appointment. We can do video chat. We can sit down and say, let's do a conference call. And we look to see, can I see one or, one or more of the accounts? Sometimes we ask that you scan and email those to us ahead of time. And you could block out account numbers if we're not ready to do anything. Just, I just need to see what it is because there's certain wording on there that matters or certain ways that things are written. I have to be able to, to look at that. And then here's what, what makes a big difference. If we can say, I can help you with some of the accounts, you decide when you want that to happen. We know what it was like when you trusted everything in the market and you did well, you thought you did something right. You know, I was that way. Listen, when I was a trader and, and when I was an investor, and listen for our clients. Right in 97, 98, 99, and 2000, when the market went straight up and the clients came to me and said, oh, wow, Arab, look how smart you are. You got us 36%, 75%, 42%. I said, well, yes, look at what I did. Right. If any of you, you or your financial professional, whoever, it's usually the guys, but whoever it is in your financial life, right? It, it could be the financial broker or it could be us as men and or husbands because often it's the, it's the guy who thinks that they did it. I just say in my experience and he says, look at what I did. Maybe there's a little tinge of arrogance. I don't know. And then when it drops, like it did in March of 2000 or it dropped like it did this year. Then suddenly we sit there like a, like a deer in a headlights. How do we handle this? There's definitely a different time access to information, the speed of information. All of that today is, is much greater. I don't know if it's working to your benefit. You, you should have not lost 30 or 40%. Right? If you had it all in the right places, I don't know how much you should have lost, but probably not 25, 30, or 40 Because 
you have to decide how much risk you're willing to take. We take credit when it goes up and we point the blame when it goes down. Right? You want to blame the, the Wuhan coronavirus. You want to blame the president or, or Congress or the Federal Reserve. And, but you didn't give them credit when it went up. You, you, took the, you took the credit. So have some intellectual integrity here and say, listen, if I took the credit when it went up, then I'm going to take the blame when it goes down. And you see, when I was uh, the broker guy in that position, I thought, wait a second. That lacked integrity because I didn't have a whole lot to do with it going up. I mean, I wanted it to have something to do with it going up, but I didn't because, well, why would I? It's not anything that I was involved with. You see, this makes a difference because in your financial life, somebody has to be the person who takes accountability. And if it is you, man, today is the best day ever because information is available. Now, you could also have information overload, right? When you type into a search engine any kind of topic and you have 1.3 million hits in in 0.8 seconds, you understand you're never going to get to page four, let alone, you know, search hit number 1 million or or 100,000 for that matter. So, you have to have a, the ability to say, what's the purpose of these funds? And I know my friends that are brokers are, are not always happy about this, right? Other financial professionals don't like it when, when we get away from the crazy sexiness of the, of the pie charts and the graphs and these rates of return. And we just keep talking percentages and until you just look at me and go, wow, you must be the smartest person on earth. And I just agree with, with a humble nod, of course. <laughs> But I want you to do this. Say, what's the job of this money? I met with somebody this week and she had, uh, I think it was about $1.3 million, somewhere in that neighborhood, between a pension and social security and rental property. She said, Eric, I think I want to take uh, this and put put half of it at risk in the market. I said, okay, great. How much are you willing to lose? She said, well, what do you mean? Nothing. I said, well, that's what the market does. You could earn really great rates of return or you could lose, but you could decide whatever you want to do with that half. With this other half, just know it will never go down. And she said, well, well so, so wait a second, go back to that. What do you mean? I said, well, look, based on what you told me you need financially speaking and in account, accounting for inflation and looking at the math and who you want to leave the money to as far as beneficiaries, you never have to risk a penny of the $1.3 million to achieve all of your goals, to live the way you're saying you want to live, to have even extra, because we kind of we kind of put in a little extra. Because we know things come up, birthdays, and I want to take the grandkids on a cruise or a trip. Not today on a cruise, but you will eventually. Right? I know that you're going to have that. You're going to have that desire to maybe spend more than we originally budgeted for. I get it. It happens. So that being said, we build that in. And we go through and we say, okay, how do we create a a program to where it meets your needs? And at the end of the story for her 1.3 million, she said, Arif, I I don't even need to take any risk. I said, look, if, if part of, and you guys need to know this, if part of you gets a, a, an excitement, a thrill, an adrenaline rush off of trading in the market or buying and selling and following what's happening with oil and, and uh, 
you know, what's happening in the stock market and treasuries and, you know, all the crazy stuff that, that sounds like a professional should do, then just find a budget for that. Right? We, we had a client who was a, a movie producer's wife, uh, and it was a famous show in the 60s and 70s, a TV show, ran for many years, and she's now a widow. And she said, listen, Arif, I trade the markets. I don't sleep well, so I see what's happening in Europe. I see what's happening in China and in Asian markets. I love it. And she had $1.9 million. That's a lot of money, guys. That's a lot of money. I said, well, how much do you want to risk? She said, well, I don't know, but I just love trading. It keeps me alive, et cetera. So we just put 50000 off to the side and let that be her thing. And the rest was safe, and it was able to pay for a nursing home and facilities and, and long-term care when she needed it. All of those things were still achieved. So I need you to know that regardless of the account, $20,000 or $20 million, no matter what, we see it as your money. You gave up something, time with your children or your spouse or yourself. You gave up buying something that you would have preferred to have And you did that so this money doesn't just represent a bunch of pieces of paper. It represents something you sacrificed for. And we never forget that. You worked for this money, not us. And certainly not your broker who sits in, uh, you know, the ski slopes or Fiji or the Bahamas and collects a fee no matter what happens to your market. It goes up, down, up, down. Your account makes money or it doesn't. The market goes up or it doesn't or it goes down, or you lost money, and they still charge a fee. The thing that bothers me is they charge a fee on the money they charge a feed on, that they feed last year, that they charged a fee when they made money, and then they charged a fee when they lost money, and then they feed the same money that they're still holding in the same accounts to charge a fee. Now, listen, you can wrap your head and do that mental gymnastics and think that's a great thing. That is not something I can do. So, we are paid because... The financial companies, the insurance companies that we work with are going to make more than they give you. I mean, is that a surprise? It works that way with the bank. If you walk into a bank, you don't give a dollar fifty to the teller and two dollars to the security guard and a dollar to the bank, right? But, but wait a second. They were here last week. They're going to be here next week. The electric bill is paid. How'd they do that? Well, because they're going to pay you a lower interest rate and they're going to earn a higher interest rate. They're going to lend it to this person for a new car and this person for a new boat and this person for a new uh, visa card or student loan, et cetera, right? They're going to make, it's called the spread. Now, every financial company has, quote, the spread. That's called their profit. There are some folks that choose to put you in accounts where you pay right off the bat. You walk in the door, you pay. Whether you did well or not, the risk is now all of yours, but it also means all of the gain is yours. Right? I mean, we're not one-sided here. You could do really well. And up until a few months ago, you probably did really well. Until you didn't. And then it's the old deer in the headlights as we try to figure out what happened. We try to figure out why. And meanwhile, your account is dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. And then it comes back a little bit and it tricks you and you, f- you get a good sense of relief and you think the world is back to normal and then it's not again. Our job is to take some or part of your money, move it to a safer place if you'd like, however much you want, and to not risk it. If you think any person in any career field, whether it's a mechanic, whether it's a physician, or whether it's us, who are supposed to be experts in every single field, 
that's related to their, to their job, zero, not going to happen, right? I don't want the mechanic who fixes uh, my transmission or changes my oil to also work on my brakes, right? You understand those are two separate specialties. Making a mistake on my brakes could be fatal for me and my family, right? So they're both called a mechanic. I like the person who's going to fix my transmission. I need that done. Thank you. I like the person who's going to fix, uh, you know, change my oil and my transmission and my brakes. Those are all different people. If you think you're going to have one human being handle that, who, quote, understands how to, quote, balance the not true. Now, they might be good at a couple of areas, but they can't be great at anything. It's physically impossible. Now, when the fields used to be very narrow, everybody drove a Ford Model T. Medical records, we had one book. Everybody went to medical school, it was two years. And that included getting your bachelor's, right? <laughs> when we had that, when the depth of knowledge was so narrow, great. Today, there are so many moving parts in the financial industry that I don't think somebody who could handle risk and then real estate and then annuities and then savings accounts. Listen, I, I don't think so. I could be wrong. But I think you have to have a, an understanding that if a doctor is, a, uh, is a, a brain surgeon, she's incredible. My goodness. You would want any one of your family members to be treated by her. That's the most uh, prestigious person in the world. Brain surgeon. People walk in the room with her and, and they bow. I mean, you get it? These doctors, they, they've worked on one of my kids. So brain surgeons are brilliant to me. But I wouldn't say, hey, by the way, while you're at it, you know, I've got this heart condition. Can you work on that? Or, or while you're at it, you know, I broke my, my wrist or I, I need my shoulder to be worked on. Can you work on my shoulder? You wouldn't do that. But they're both are called doctor. They both went to medical school. I have to convince you through multiple stories here because some of you still come to me and you guys will say things like, well, yeah, but I want a firm that handles everything. I was like, oh my gosh, then they're not going to be great at anything. But Arif, what if I do want some risk? What if I do want somebody to do my trust? What if I do? Then great. Then it's your job to have a person in each area. You want a CPA, if you will, if you're, if you're of that uh, needy in, in the uh, tax world, or at least an enrolled agent to handle your taxes. You want an attorney that is not affiliated with anybody to handle your trust, if you need a living trust. You want the best stockbroker that that's all they do. They couldn't even tell you how to spell annuity. That's all they do. You tell them I, you can risk this much money. Here are my risk profile, whatever they do, boom. And then you want a specialist or somebody that handles annuities every single day doing nothing but annuities. The strengths, the weaknesses, the good companies, the bad companies, the great areas, the great features. I don't need this. I really, really, really need that, right? I mean, <laughs> simple. And by doing that, you now end up with a scenario where you have the best in each one of the fields. Because why would you ever want to have somebody who is not great in their field? I mean, you get it? It's not my goal is to beat you up over this. But for some folks, they still come into my office and they still think that because this uh, firm can do everything, that they're supposed to be great at everything. Guys, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I wish it did. 
right? It would be easier, like going to the grocery store and getting a one-stop shop. But I think you're going to have to have multiple assistants, all right? That's a big deal. Okay, so when we're sitting and talking about your family's finances, let me give you my phone number again, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847, 888-99-RETIRE. Here's why. Because we are doing uh, in-home, if you will, through video conferencing, or, or at home, I should say. We are doing uh, telephone appointments. We are even, do, even doing in-office appointments at a couple of our offices. We've pared it down a little bit for the safety of our staff and and for others. We have all the social distancing stuff that uh, that is being requested. We're taking care of that as well. And this makes a difference for you and your safety. We want to protect you, but we also want to protect your money. That's a big deal to us so that you don't lose when the market goes backwards. And we can get bonuses, guys. We can actually start earning interest as the market starts to come back. All right, give us a call, 888-99-RETIRE. We'll be back in just a minute. We're going to continue with some of the new laws that are changing. Guys, grab a pen and a paper. You need to take notes because things are going to change and they've already changed rapidly. It's 888-99-RETIRE. My name is Eric Hallaby and thanks for being with me. Stay with me after the break. On the Total Financial Hour, I'm Eric Hallaby on AM870, The Answer. Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey, welcome back to the show, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. Thanks for being with me. Hey, let me give you the number real quick. It's triple eight ninety nine retire. That's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. Hey, last week there were four of you that called in back to back to back. I want to thank you for that. We were able to um, to hopefully get back to you, answer all of your questions. If you have a question midweek or if there's a problem or something that's going on, please feel free to go through and, and reach out midweek. I'd love it if we can talk. One, it tells me you're listening, so that's kind of nice. And I want to hear what you have to say. You might say, hey, Eric, this thing is really important to me, or I really would like to learn more about this. And that really helps as our shows were hitting uh, somewhere around 3,000 radio shows. Can you imagine? I was younger 15 years ago. Actually, 15, coming up on 15 and a half years ago. Yes. As my producer Joe was saying, I had more hair. That is true. I was always that guy. Listen, I thought on the radio I would have three months of things to say because at that time I was doing two shows, three shows a week, depending on the week. I said, I'll probably have about three months, maybe six months of stuff to say. After that, I'll probably run out of topic or, or certainly, you know, nobody wants to hear anymore. And then I started realizing that for a lot of people, the information that we share, the ideas that we share are not really found, right? Because what's the one size fits all When you deal with risk, guys, it's put everything in risk or the one size that fits all when you're dealing with the banker. We'll put everything in CDs. You know, I I think there's a there's the good news and bad news. The responsibility of you now having to take when it comes to your own retirement planning, the knowledge of different products, the things that you should know about. You have to be a little a little bit more savvy. You know, years ago, the way it would work. And, and when I say years ago, guys, really, from about the mid-70s on, things have changed. But up until that point, here, here was the lifestyle. Uh, let's say from about 1910 to the mid-1970s, okay? 
Here's how life was. You would go to work. You'd eventually buy a house and you would pay it off. The goal was to get that house paid off before you retired. Now, in most of the country, when you can buy a, a nice home for 149 or, or 310 oh my gosh, you must live over there if you bought a house for 365 And today in Southern California, very difficult to buy a house that you would want to live in and retire in and stay there for a while in the, you know, below 500,000. So for you to be somebody that's going to say, and that house is going to be my forever home, I'm going to age there, right? The neighborhood, the the size of the home, everything. I'm going to raise my family. My family's going to go. My grandkids are going to come back. We're going to have a lifestyle and then I get to be able to live here and and then have maybe a caregiver move in, right? For that entire life cycle, it isn't one house anymore, right? It's often, I mean, ask yourself, how many homes have you lived in, right? I'm 52, and I've lived in three houses that I've bought, this current one for about 20 years, so I've been here for a long time. But for most of us, right, most of Americans, what is it, every six or seven years they're moving, And that needs to be thought of because the system, the way we were trained was to go to work, work really hard, save money in a bank, get money into a CD at a bank at a 5% interest. And when your home was paid off, $100,000 saved in a bank would get you $5,000 a year in extra income. So what was retirement like? You'd have a small pension, you'd have social security, you'd have money coming from your savings at the CD at the bank, and you'd have a home that's paid off. And that was life. That was, quote, your retirement lifestyle. Maybe a good investment now and again, maybe a rental property now and again. Very rare, but it happened and people did it, and that was part of life. Today, and from about the mid-70s on, Wall Street came knocking. Hello, yes, hi, hi, I'm from Wall Street. And what I'd like you to do is to give me your money and you don't mind your pretty little head. You just go to work. You take a few dollars and you throw it over your left shoulder. I'm here to catch it. I'm going to put it in all these accounts. They're going to have great names, man. They're going to make it sound like you are the next Warren Buffett. And we're going to pick these accounts. And and listen, uh, by the way, we can't suggest which ones for you to pick, nor can your HR director, nor can your supervisor. You are going to have to pick which one of these big-named, fancy mutual funds that you want to put your money in. And these things are called 401Ks or 403B if you work as a school district or for a school district, hospital, research facility, nonprofit, church, right? That's called a 403B. Uh, if you worked for a city, county, state government, yours was called a 457 or deferred comp. If you worked for the federal government, yours was called a thrift savings plan or a TSP. All of these acted relatively similar. You'd go to work, you take a few dollars, you throw it over your shoulder, you just keep going to work. Wall Street creates all of these funny fees and words. And when you ask, you know, what's my fee? They say, oh, it's $35. But you didn't ask about the other 10 or 15 other expenses. You see, the question you need to ask, ready about bringing that pen and paper to the party here? You need to ask, very important, Not what your fees are. What is my total cost? What is my total cost to own this financial product? Because if you don't ask the questions correctly, 
they will not tell you. What their job is, it's different. Their job is to sit down and to answer your questions. When you say, what's my 12B1 or what's my fee or what's my expense ratio or what's my uh, sub-account fees or my M&E charges and on and on and on, all of these, quote, costs, depending on your product that, that you're investing in, could be eating up your returns. So Wall Street comes along in the mid-70s and they create these accounts they have massive amounts of dollars. Go ahead backwards and track the stock market. Take a look at how it used to be just where the wealthy put their money. Because you see, the only reason that, that average Americans had a problem in 1929 in the, in the crash of the stock market wasn't because they had 401ks. I don't know what the number was. 90, 95% of Americans had zero in the stock market. They didn't even know how to spell stock market. They didn't know what it was. They were farmers. They worked in factories. They worked in the fields. The problem was the owners of the uh, industry at the time, the, the uh, owners of the farms that, that handled, right, the big players, they leveraged themselves, and which means they borrowed a lot, and they invested it in the market. And when the market collapsed, they didn't have money to buy your product or service if you were a farmer, to give you product or service if you were in the factory. So they put the factory up and nobody was, able, was there to buy and this domino effect began. And so every little guy or gal down the street who had zero money invested in the market were still impacted by the market. And that changed society because folks said, well, wait a second, I'm just a farmer, but nobody wants to buy my goods. And of course, at the same time, we had a Dust Bowl drought that was happening. We had issues where they were not caring for the land properly throughout Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas, right? That whole region in that area where they took the natural lay of the land and they farmed it incorrectly, which led to erosion and other issues. So when, now that had been going on for a while, but when you couple it with somebody who doesn't have the resources to reroute things or to change things, and all of a sudden, uh-oh, now I'm stuck. And people who were living where they had one house, they had one job, their goal was to pay off their house, all of a sudden, 25% of America was unemployed. 25. Okay, now let's back up. This thing called COVID-19, the Wuhan flu. How many people, how many Americans are, are out of work? 30, 40%, maybe more. The only reason it's not higher is because the rest work for the government, right? I mean, there's a, there's a huge percentage of Americans that work for the government. Of course, listen, go back to this. Robbing Peter to pay Paul. You need to ask yourself, when you rob Peter to pay Paul, you're always going to have Paul's support. I mean, you get it? You rob Peter to pay Paul. Paul is like, yeah, I think it's a pretty good idea. I think you should take from him or her to give to me. Right? So this matters a lot when you're trying to figure out how you're going to make, if you will, life. Because there is not enough. There is there's just isn't enough to go around to take from those of you that are producing. And now today, you have thousands of people unemployed. 
millions, really. The market has dropped substantially. And surprise, a huge portion of your wealth is now in the market. You see, if you're getting a pension or expecting to receive a pension, where do you think your pension money is invested? I mean, I don't know. Let's just think about this together. Right? Facts, logic, that matters to me. Right? We don't have to be in agreement all the time, but we certainly don't want to be, you know, making up stories, right? You heard me say, listen, I think this, this flu is horrific. But when I was a Los Angeles police officer, I've seen little kids in car accidents. The little kid didn't ask to be in the car. He was completely innocent. And it's horrible to watch that. But we didn't ban kids riding in automobiles. We didn't ban automobiles altogether. We said, gosh, this is a horrible thing. Let's make it as best as we can, right? Let's, let's create car seats and crumple zones and airbags. Let's educate people. We didn't shut down the entire automobile system across the country. And yet somehow we call that okay now. I don't know. Listen, it's all the climate denier, hate change. I guess you could call whatever you want. I just think something is wrong somewhere. I don't know what. I'm not that smart, guys. I'm just a financial guy who's an expert at keeping your money safe. That's what I do. So I I don't know. But something isn't right. You know, they have you... uh, You've heard me talk about the symbolism over substance, right? The Dust Bowl didn't happen overnight. The fake, the the stock market crash in 29 didn't happen overnight, right? Individuals and companies were creating a phony stock, phony companies all throughout the 20s, companies that didn't even exist. And so people were buying and selling companies that didn't exist. And then when the, the curtain was lifted, surprise, they collapsed, Right, because of course it wasn't, co- and so nobody knew was Ford a real company? It was General, right? Those were all newer companies of the day, and so everybody went down because the trust and the confidence in the system was broken. The Dust Bowl didn't happen overnight. It was bad irrigation, over farming, uh, not management of the land that took years. Okay, now let's get back to the symbolism over substance. When they took away, I mean, I'm just going to be simple here. Let's just think about this. When they took away common sense, let's use uh, one-time use grocery bags, the plastic bags. Oh, yeah, but if there's a picture of a whale with a bag around its ear. Okay. Yeah, and, and a straw has a, you know, a turtle has a straw coming out of its nose. And so we ban. Would you stop? Would you stop this craziness for a second? Because you take that same reusable bag with some organic material like a piece of leaf or, or chicken juice or something in the bottom of it, you let it sit fermenting in your automobile in the trunk in 110-degree weather, and then you take it back into the grocery store. And then you set it on the same counter that my clean bag will go on or just my one item. And then I take that and I bring that home on my kitchen counter. I mean, do you see a problem there? But hey, we saved a bag. Or we go and we start thinking about this and we say we're going to ban paper towels, which are actually the waste product 
of other lumber, right? It, it, it's sawdust and other materials, newspaper, recycled, etc. That's what those brown paper towels are in restrooms. But instead, we're going to use warm, recycled, bacteria-filled air to go right back on our same clean hands that we just washed for 22 seconds singing Mary Had a Little Lamb. And now you put that back. Surprise, what the heck? How'd that problem come about? Oh, Arif, they changed the filters. Really? Even the best fast food restaurants, the guys don't change the, the trash cans out. You're telling me they're going to change a filter that requires a screwdriver? No, thank you. Not going to happen. Oh, 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 listen, there's a friction that occurs when you, when you move off. And I don't mean the heat from it. But when you take a paper towel, you get a chance to wipe off maybe one or two extra germs. I, maybe it's one or two million germs. I don't know. But just go back to logic, guys. Because all of this craziness that you hear talk about, doesn't it have a financial effect on your retirement accounts? Doesn't it give you peace of mind or lack thereof when you're, quote, going to retire at the end of the year or this summer? So our approach is different. It's a logical approach. It's common sense. You see, we feel good because we all think that a redwood tree was cut down so that the local gas station on the corner could have paper towels. No, it's not how it works. Thank you for playing. Come on. Let's get, let's get past our comments. Guys, you and me together, we can do this, right? Forget the crazy news media, and I mean both sides. When you have a running total of kids that are passing away and dying in car accidents, if you have that on the screen, or veterans dying, and every few minutes it ticks up, if you give me a running total of the opioid deaths, and you, and you keep that on the bottom running screen, so every 15 minutes I see the new death toll, okay, then now, I'm, now I'm with you. Now we care about people. But when less than 700 Californians die out of 35 million, and you shut down the economy. You've collapsed the dreams of thousands, if not millions, of seniors graduating high school and college. Collapsed the dreams of hundreds of thousands of people who had a job, who were going to buy a car one day, who were going to buy a new car, who were just going to take a trip. And I know, because immediately you go to, well, you're putting a car above a human life. You see, the healthcare professional's job is to care for health. The economist is to care for the economy. The executive branch, president, governor, mayor, their job is to care for both and to mitigate because it's like a lever. When you push one, you pull another. And the more you go in one direction, the more you go into another way. And so you're going to consistently get to a place where you say, well, guys, I think too much is happening here. Right? I think you and I are are making too much of the economy. Let's get back to health. Or we're making too much of, of the health side. Let's have consist, uh, some consistency. Because when it comes to retirement, how are you going to prevent this next craziness? Because now that we felt that this is a way out, that this is an option, is to shut down everything and social distancing, what it, just make up words. Right? And then everybody has to play along or, you, or you're, not, you're not one of the cool kids. And the moment that they shut down the whole system and they call that okay or normal, and they did that for something like this, I don't know what they will do it again. So my recommendation is multiple sources of income. 
Don't have all your eggs in one basket. You like rental property? Fine. Have one or two or three of those. You like uh, the stock market? Have two or three or four of those. You like annuities? Have two or three or four of those. The idea is if you have a pension coming to you, realize that your pension is tied to the market. Realize that if you have money coming to you from another source, right? Let's say something like uh, maybe you have a business, a small business. Maybe it's a part-time. Maybe it's a full-time. Maybe it's your lifestyle, uh, your whole life income. Well, as long as we don't have everything coming from one place, the next time this collapses, your small business can still succeed because you're managing it properly because you're not having to pull money from the business in order to pay your electric bill at home because you have many other sources of income. So you've heard me talk about laddering. What I like is multiple, if it fits, right? I mean, of course, this is a radio show. I haven't met with you yet, so I don't know. But if it fits where you have a shorter-term account, a medium-term account, and a long-term account. People used to do it, and sometimes they still do, I guess. They ladder CDs, right? So they get different interest rates, and then they try to get better interest rates, et cetera, by going out a little longer and all that, right? So you're going to be in a spot where you have multiple, if you will, uh, sources of income, multiple revenue Sources coming in. But I need you guys to say, how do I create, if you will, three or four or five sources of income? Now, to me, five sources of income is a pretty safe retirement. Three, that's the minimum. Now, if husband and wife both have Social Security, I'm okay with that. If husband and wife both have a pension, Okay, I like that too. Even though that's four sources of of income, I'm going to only count three of those because you're going to lose one social security check when one of you passes away. So the lower of the two, so if you have one that's, let's say, 2,000 a month and one is 1,500 a month, when one of you passes away, your income tax doubles and your social security check that's the lowest, in this case, the 1,500, that goes away. So you no longer have that $1,500 that comes in. So that means for you and your family or your lifestyle or your expenses, we have to budget for that. So I like to use another source. I like to use a life insurance policy. If we need to make up that $1,500 a month, then we can do so with a life insurance policy that is piggybacked on top of that that says... When somebody passes away, we lose the 1500 but we gain whatever, 100000 250000 whatever that number is. That new number comes in, and we have new money coming in on this side. Right? So that's, that helps. Because now we have tax-free income. You see, you and your family need to know where the multiple sources of income are going to come from That's nice, but what about this? The taxability of that income. Because when one of you passes away, you go from single filing, uh, I mean, a married filing jointly to single. And married filing jointly, if you just look at the grid, 
it's about twice of the extra income that you can have. So if you have a consistent income coming in, either from pensions, right? Sometimes, like in a, in a, for an example, a couple of days ago, I met with a gentleman. His retirement from uh, one of the uh, delivery companies, all right, was let's say eleven hundred a month. He hadn't been there for very long, eleven hundred a month, or he could get a little over a thousand a month, but it would last as long as his wife lives. So for him and his wife, and it's a thousand a month, and it lasts forever. That's great. It's one of seven. Yes, fortunately, seven different sources of income for him because he had a couple of different jobs before. They, she has a pension. They have retirement accounts. We ladder it. We build it. We protect it. That's what our job is. The market declines will not impact you. You and your family don't have to stay up late at night and say, what's going to happen next? And make sure that the professional you deal with is an expert in each one of these areas. Right? There's no reason in the world you should think, it's not fair. It's not fair to the financial professional who, who's going to have to think, right, wait a second. For me to be able to make a living that they're going to have to do something in their life to say, well, I'm going to have to pretend like I'm an expert at everything, right? Because that's what used to happen. Financial professionals, myself included, we were able to be pretty good at a lot of things. And for the first, I don't know, eight or 10 years of my career, what used to happen? Well, we would do everything and we wanted all of your money. That's the way my bosses told me to tell you. We're going to take everything. Today, forget it. Not only is that, I don't know, malpractice in my opinion, because nobody's great at everything, but you should be able to have that freedom to say, I'm going to go to the Grocery store for the items are there, and then I'm going to go to the liquor store for the items there. I'm going to go to the gas station, right? You, you, you don't get all of your groceries at the gas station. Why do you, why do you have this ability to think your, your financial professionals are supposed to be experts in everything? We specialize in safety. That's what we do. If we can help you, it's my pleasure. 888-99-RETIRE. I hope you have a wonderful weekend finishing it up and a great week ahead. That's 888-997-3847. I'm Eric Halby, TFS Financial Insurance Services on the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. <laughs> 